I think we're doing a radio show this morning. Is anybody there that can hear me? I can hear you. Hello, Adam Candy. Adam Hi, Candy's Tyler. in today. Hello. Adam's in for Ed Graney. Ed is out at the Final Four, or he's flying to the Final Four today. We'll talk to Ed uh, sometime tomorrow to catch up with Ed Graney. But we've got a show today, and maybe we're going to have an NBA team in the future. Okay. The first bite. The first bite is brought to you by Co- the Cofield Company podcast. Do you believe an NBA team is coming to Vegas? So we got this story yesterday that Tim Lewecki and the Oakview Group are planning to build a three billion dollar project uh, that would include a casino, but also a twenty thousand seat arena uh, that would be located. On Las Vegas Boulevard, uh, near Blue Diamond and the 215, it is the same location or the same area that Major League might be looking at to build a stadium. Um, The Oakview group that's behind it, they helped the Kraken get to Seattle, uh, even though they've not gotten the NBA back in Seattle yet. Uh, They're also joined by Mark Bedane, the former Raiders president. He is a consultant on this project as well. So from the sports side of this, Adam, do you believe that this is the precursor, this is step one for this group to bring the NBA to Las Vegas? Uh, Let's cover what I think is the more interesting story first. Apparently, Tim Lewicki does not think Mark Bedane is at fault for whatever financial improprieties (laughs) Mark Davis uh, intimated were going on with the Raiders franchise when Mark Bedane was there. So uh, I'll take that piece of information and add it into an old story. Like, There's beginning to be so much smoke around this that it's hard to believe there's not a fire somewhere in Las Vegas. Um, I have a hard time seeing it being this far off the strip because that's not what we've seen so far, right? That's the part that I have a hard time getting my head around. Uh, even this, oh, this would include a casino. What we've seen so far is that T-Mobile Arena and Allegiant Stadium are both essentially in the heart of the strip. And that's been part of making the economics of all of this work is that if you're going to be bringing people in, you know, 40 plus times a year for the NBA, for the NHL, whatever it is, that you're attaching them to the strip, that you're making it a walking situation. So this 215 Blue Diamond land, look, I've had people in my ear for five, six years telling me about this land. I had a person who, when I was going to the Raiders Stadium meetings before the Allegiant Stadium site was approved, insisted to me kept me on the phone for hours talking about how the Raiders were really going to this area so I don't know what to believe when it comes to whether this area is viable Tyler but you know I'm starting to believe that the NBA thing has more legs than I might have even a month ago so on the location side of it I I think it's brutal in terms of not being walkable for people staying on the strip right it's not far from the strip but you you have to get in a car to get there you have to get there's some form of transportation that's not just your legs for every single person that stays on the strip and that doesn't like you said that doesn't make sense compared to what we've seen professional sports teams come in here and do already so that doesn't make a lot of sense the other part and i assume this would get changed but that's a brutal location as far as getting to 
that plot of land because there it's it's between the I-15 and the 215 and Las Vegas Boulevard. But the problem is, is there's one exit off of I-15 right there that takes Diamond Road to 215 East to 215 West and to Las Vegas Boulevard. Like it's not a good setup as is just for regular traffic of Las Vegas. If you throw in an arena that's going to host events, like the entire roads are going to have to change there. So location-wise, I don't think it's a great location. I guess it could work at the end of the day, but it doesn't It doesn't jump off the page as, yes, this is absolutely where an NBA team would want to be playing. On the NBA side of coming here and Las Vegas being sort of the favorite here, Tim Lewicki did say, told the Review Journal uh, that they're under no belief or expectation or direction today that that's imminent. So he's getting out there and, and I guess trying to temper the expectations of this meaning the NBA coming to Las Vegas. But I can't figure out why you would look at Las Vegas and say, that city, we're going to build another 20,000-seat arena. We're going to compete with MGM, who has three arenas of similar size. Thomas and Mac exist. They're building that sphere that'll be a similar size. Like I can't imagine looking at Vegas and thinking, we want to compete with five or six other venues of almost the same size unless you're getting that anchor tenant of an NBA team. So, yeah, do the math. Off-strip casino, 20,000-seat arena, and you're competing against all those arenas you just mentioned. The Sphere is a dedicated concert venue. How exactly are you going to fill that arena up enough times in order to make it financially viable? That's If it's not the NBA... I'll, I'll leave the MLS part to you in terms of you know where <laughs> soccer might fit into the equation. But l let's think about it this way when it comes to the NBA coming to Las Vegas. Uh, it needs to happen sooner than later. So if it's not imminent, then I wonder about this arena just a little bit. Because if it doesn't happen sooner than later, you know what's going to happen? Something we already started to see this year. T-Mobile Arena is not going to look so full every night. Um, and... If the season ticket base erodes for the Golden Knights at all, if the slide that we've seen in terms of fan support continues, then you have to wonder if the NBA is going to look at it and say, you know, I don't. will a team sustain in Las Vegas? Um, the Golden Knights uh, just put out a tweet, I think it was yesterday, saying that seat selection is coming up for a, quote, limited amount of full season ticket opportunities. So... We know that the can't wait list is the don't have to wait list now for BGK. <laughs> that's so that's actually an interesting point because almost every time somebody talks about putting a new team in Las Vegas, we've heard Dave Cobble with the A's talk about this a lot. They bring up the Golden Knights, but they're like, oh, let's look at the market. Look how much success the hockey team has had there. Like they always get brought up. And that's that's interesting that if this this takes a couple of years and like if the Golden Knights miss the playoffs this year and they should be good next year. But if for whatever reason, they're just kind of not great for a couple of seasons and T-Mobile Arena is not always full and all of a sudden the shine is off the hockey team. I do wonder how seriously the NBA or just people in general would look at Las Vegas and say, you know, it was a great sports market for like five years. But once that hockey team wasn't in the Stanley Cup finals all the time, uh they didn't really care too much. So that's that's interesting just because of how much they get cited as a reason for why people want to put a team in Vegas. Yeah, and this year is sort of the tipping point to see which direction we go, right? Because as Bill Foley 
said at the beginning of the season when the building was, you know, 75% full, you're like, well, you know, we still sold the season tickets. And I think that's what an NBA owner is going to look at, right? They're like, yeah, show up or don't show up. Did you did you buy the tickets? So, you know, maybe it's just me having lived here as long as I've lived here that I I keep wondering, the same way I keep wondering how do we keep getting water from the ground, I keep wondering how many teams can we support in terms of splitting up people's money for, for season tickets. So I, I guess we might find out. Uh, are we going to run out of water the same time we get an NBA team? Um. I don't know. I heard that we're we're activating that new third straw at Lake Mead, the one that's built like down in the carp. Uh, so hopefully it, that won't happen. Do you? Okay. The the one thing about this story that's uh, I guess made me believe it more than whatever any other NBA story to Vegas is the fact that it's Tim Lewecki that's involved here. Like he has he's worked in the NBA before. He's worked for he worked for AEG. He worked for the. Um, group that owns the Maple Leafs and a whole bunch of other teams like there's I don't know it just feels like there's a lot more there's a there's a resume behind it that I I believe in more than anybody else that's been mentioned about bringing an NBA team to Vegas yeah that's exactly it It, that's why I look at this and I say how does any of this work without an NBA team but let me bounce it back to you Where, where do you think MLS could fit into this yeah, I mean, it's so apparently there's enough land there for them to build an MLS stadium as well. I'm, I think for Major League Soccer, they seem intent on coming here, even though it's the last day of quarter one and we were supposed to have an announcement in quarter one about Las Vegas and expansion to Major League Soccer. So maybe they're not imminently coming to this city. Um, I think it hurts Major League Soccer a little bit, but I don't think it's a massive blow simply because. Major League Soccer is coming and probably attracting a slightly different fan base. And also, I think the bigger problem for Major League Soccer would be if the Oakland A's did come. Because that's your direct competitor throughout the summer. You have overlap with the NBA, obviously. But that's your direct competitor for uh, time of a year when you're playing. So, I don't know that it would be a massive blow to Major League Soccer. But it would certainly lower them on the totem pole if you just had generic sports fan deciding what team they want to spend money on for tickets major league soccer is going to be behind them but i think major league soccer is going to be behind them most of the time all right we're going to take a break coming up next we'll quickly jump into the golden knights because their playoff lives are still there on the right side sprawn now in the high slot to the right a drive stopped in the rebound it is in the goal Trickling puck left side. The initial stop made by Thompson, but the Kraken forced it through and have made it a one-goal game. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff featuring Adam Candy. A 3-0 win for the Golden Knights over Seattle last night. Golden Knights kicking off a stretch here against some bad teams. They're going to play Seattle again. They got, uh, after that, their next four are three against Vancouver and one against Arizona. If they're going to make the playoffs, they're going to need to rack up a lot of points in these next five games, and they got off to a good start last night. But maybe the bigger news to from based on the health of this team is that Robin Leonard actually returned to the team last night, but he was the backup to Logan Thompson. Thompson then turned in his first career NHL shutout. So here's a a question that's probably dumb, but might actually have some reality to it. Who gives the Golden Knights the best chance of winning, a fully healthy Logan Thompson or a probably not fully healthy Robin Leonard? 
What do we know about this time of year in the NHL? You play the hot hand. That's it. It comes down to nothing more than you play the guy who is winning games for you right now. And Logan Thompson is the hot hand. So I think you're going to find the answer to what goes on next for the Golden Knights based on does Logan Thompson play well the next time he's in, right? That's it. In the end, you're going to work Robin Leonard back in here because you in the he's your starting goaltender. But <laughs> but ultimately, we've seen more times than we can count in the NHL that when the hot hand gets hot, you stick with it with goaltending because it's so hard to predict what's going to happen with goaltending. Last night's not a great indicator. Three nothing also is not a great indicator of how that game went. Uh, the Golden Knights were punchless in the first period. Uh, came out a little hotter in the second, got a huge, huge break to get that Shea Theodore goal uh, at the end of the penalty kill. And then, you know, you get the Marcia so empty netter at the end. They played a game that was plenty good enough to beat the Seattle Kraken. And that's the opponent last night. So great. <laughs> uh, that game would not have beaten a lot of teams in the NHL last night, but not to be doom and gloom. You win the games that are in front of you. The schedule was supposed to be part of why the Golden Knights had a good chance to make the playoffs by coming on down the stretch, and they did what they had to do. So if you were making the decision, you would start Logan Thompson again tomorrow against Seattle? Without question. And I don't think that's what gets what's going to happen because Robin Leonard did come back, and why else activate anybody from IR right now uh, if they're not going to play? But, you know, Logan Thompson is the one who's winning games for the Golden Knights at the moment, and he's doing it pretty quietly. And that's a good thing, right? Like the Logan Thompson has been someone who has gotten the job done without a lot of flurry kind of saves, right? It's more, it's been more a Leonard kind of thing, just kind of quiet, getting right in position, don't allow a lot of huge rebounds, et cetera, et cetera. I am curious. No matter who they start Friday against Seattle. I'm curious sort of how long the leash is for a bad performance. Like, either way, if Robin Leonard comes back, and, and if Robin Leonard's not good, like if, if they get torched and it's because Leonard lets in two or three soft goals, do they immediately go back to Logan Thompson? Because like you said, he's he's been, I mean, he's 11 games. It's not a big sample size, but he's got a 920 save percentage. He's plus four in goals saved above average. Like, he's he's been a good goalie for 11 games. Like, if Leonard comes back and struggles – do you immediately go back to Logan Thompson? And then the other way around, the same is true. If if they decide, well, Logan Thompson is killing it, we got to leave him in there. Leonard's going to be the backup. And if Logan Thompson does, is it one bad game? Like if he struggles once against Seattle, is that enough to yank him out and give Robin Leonard the rest of the games this regular season? I'm I'm curious to see because it's a it's not it's not a normal uh goalie decision that I think you're making because it's not a fully healthy Robin Leonard. I think that's one of the important keys here. I mean, he just left practice two days ago because he got hit with a shot on the shoulder. That sounds like something that's going to happen during the game as well. So you're not really deciding between fully healthy Robin Leonard and Logan Thompson. It's more of, is he 70%? Is he 80%? Is he 95%? Like, we don't have that information. The coaches have a little bit more. But... It's not just a straight which goalie would you have that makes it easier to go to Leonard. It could you could look at it and say, well, he's not one hundred percent, and Thompson's playing well, so we're going to give Thompson even if he's got one bad game, we're going to play him through that because we think he's still going to be good beyond that. It's not a normal decision for me, less based on Robin Leonard's injury. Quite honestly, because it's hockey, we have no idea who's healthy and who's not at any given time. We have a little bit more information about Robin Leonard because we've seen him go in and out of the lineup all year long. But 
we have no idea who is yeah. truly ready to play. And what we know for sure is that this team is barely holding on to a playoff spot right now. So this is all hands on deck. Much the same way I watched that game last night and thought to myself, well, through two periods, I don't know that I love the fact that Jonas Ronbjerg has been the best player for the Golden Knights, but it is what it is, right? You get the job done one way or the other. So you know, the Golden Knights have 13 games remaining, five at home, eight on the road. Uh, according to ESPN, eight of those against quality teams. And according to Money Puck, they still have a 47% chance to make the playoffs. Not a great result last night uh, for them with LA and Edmonton going to overtime and both teams getting points. Uh, they have a daunting challenge in front of them with the amount of games that Dallas has left in hand uh, as well. I believe it's an extra three games for actually four games uh, for Dallas in hand. So, you know, you do what you have to do. And for me, that's playing Logan Thompson until the wheels fall off. What a disaster, by the way, for the Oilers, not only for the Oilers to beat the Kings, because the most likely path for the Golden Knights might be to catch Edmonton, but not only for the Oilers to beat the Kings, but also for that game to go to overtime so the Kings pick up a point along the way as well. I mean, the worst case scenario for the Golden Knights happened between L.A. and Edmonton last night. And now they're looking at a, it's a three-point gap between them and the Oilers. And the Oilers have a game in hand as we are counting down the games they have left. Like, it's it's a it's a rough spot. I'm, I'm a little surprised Money Puck has them at 47% simply because they haven't played well. And they have such a disadvantage with how few games they have left. But... 47%, if you're Vegas right now, I think you take that. That's almost 50-50. Yeah, you have to. And and let's point out some of the good things for the Golden Knights last night. I can't count the amount of times I heard these three words, and they were so soothing for a Golden Knights fan to hear. Blocked by Martinez. Blocked <laughs> by Martinez. Blocked by Martinez. Alex Mar Alec Martinez being back in the lineup and blocking shots, along with Braden McNabb last night begins to steady the ship, right? It didn't make the Golden Knights score any more goals, but they held a punchless Seattle team without anything. And that counts for something when you're playing the Seattle Kraken. Now, it's not going to count as much when you have to go up against some of the better teams the Golden Knights will see down the stretch, but it absolutely counts for something right now for Vegas. So I think some of the money puck odds have to do with the Vegas Golden Knights potentially getting healthier as well. There is, I mean, defensively right now, the Golden Knights, that's the optimism. You have your your big four defensemen are back. Petrangelo, Theodore, McNabb, and Martinez. Granted, again, probably not playing 100% healthy, but you have those four guys back in the lineup. Seattle had 23 shots on goal. As I think they had eight high danger chance. It's Seattle. But, like, the Golden Knights held that down. And if you're, if you're looking for optimism, there's some reason to think that now that they're healthier along the blue line, they might be able to limit a lot of chances, limit a lot of high danger chances for opponents and simply not give up goals. And and maybe you win some ugly games. Maybe you can just do it against the bad teams and that be enough to get in. But that's sort of the optimism because, like you said, Jonas Ronberg is, is your best player through two periods. I don't think George McPhee ever had that in his plans, that Jonas Ronberg would be the best forward on the ice for them at any point in time. But that's sort of the reality of given their injury situation, but at least defensively, they're in a lot better spot. All right, coming up next, Mike Grabala joins the show. He's never seen a steak that is too gray. He once ate half a box of Cheez-Its for lunch and finished off the other half for dinner. He has eaten exactly one taco in his life. He is Mike Grillmala. 
have tacos changed that much since I tried one? Uh, before we get to Mike, Adam, I, I have a question for you. Have you been on the show when we had Mike on since his Buffalo Buffalo Wild Wings disaster? I was here the day that it was revealed. Okay, yeah, but you haven't talked to him since then, right? I, I avoid him at all costs. Okay, I, I assume so. Just wanted to make sure. I don't think we're going to top that anytime soon. Definitely not today, but just wanted to uh, to get the timeline right here to know how disgusted you are with Mike Ramallah coming on the show. Hi, Mike. How are you today? Uh, disaster is a strong word for that trip. <laughs> I had a good time. Good food. I, I'm, I'm sure you enjoyed it. Uh, disaster was more for uh, how everybody else viewed the trip. The outside perception of your trip was a disaster. If you say so. <laughs> All right. Are you going anywhere else to try a uh, chain restaurant in the near future? Um, nothing in nothing in the plans. Um, but I'm all you as you know. I'm always open to trying new things. So if okay. something comes up, I will embrace the opportunity. But all nothing right. specifically planned just yet. All right. Let us know where you're going, and we'll we'll find a place for you to actually go eat and try some food. All right. Uh, some. UNLV questions. We'll start with basketball because this morning um, Jeff Goodman tweeted out that Carlin Hartman is leaving UNLV and he's going to be an assistant coach at Florida under Todd Golden, their new head coach in Gainesville. Um, does that does that mean anything bad for like Kyron Lindsay? Do you think this ends up with UNLV losing some players because of it? I. I don't know at this point, but I mean, that's where my first thought immediately went because that was, you know, one of Carlin Hartman's guys. That's their, their big recruit for this season. I know he's, he's signed um, already, but we've seen Kevin Kruger's, uh, if last year's any indication, he's not going to hold a recruit um, to that, to that letter of intent. If that person wants to leave, we saw that with uh, Arthur Kaluma last year, who was also signed, but due to coaching changes, he decided to go elsewhere. So if Kyron Lindsay wants to go, I assume Kruger would, you know, sign off on that. Um, but yeah, that's, that was my first thought immediately was uh, Kyron Lindsay, and then you get to the, the transfer portal where Carlin Hartman was uh, big in helping bring in guys last year. He was, you know, he's an excellent recruiter. Uh, so that's that's definitely where my first thought went. I already had one UNLV fan tell me that this is going to be a bigger loss than any player. You think that ends up being true? No. No, I, I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a player's game. It's all about how good your players are. Um, I think, you know, a, a good coaching hire from Kevin Kruger, get another assistant in there, you just you keep it going. I don't, think you, I don't think it needs to be a disaster. You might lose a guy or two, but um, if, if one incoming freshman was making or breaking your 2022-23 season, then you had bigger problems than, you know, your, your lead assistant on your coaching staff. Mike, what do you make of the Donovan Williams situation? That you know, his highs were high and his lows were low. He is going to put his name out there at least for the NBA draft and see what's what. Um, you know, the body doesn't necessarily seem NBA ready at this point, but he did take a big step up in terms of production from his sophomore year, at Texas. Good year, uh, good year, uh, great year for him. Good year um, overall. Uh, to me, that that screams. Like, I want to get some feedback. I want to get my name out there. Like, why not? I think would be, if you're looking at it from Donovan Williams' perspective, why not do that? Um, get a chance to maybe do a couple workouts, get yourself in front of a couple scouts or coaches, and... 
But why not just see what they have to say? I mean, I think we know what they're going to say, which is put on a lot of muscle and, like, get bigger, um, get stronger, get more durable, um, improve your ball handling, and just play a more consistent, bigger role at UNLV. Like, I think that's probably what they're going to tell them. We want to see you play 34 minutes a game, continue shooting the ball at a high level, take more ownership of the offense with ball handling and passing, and just, you know, last for an entire season. So um, I'm, I wasn't surprised that he put his name into the draft. I would be surprised if he stayed there. Uh, I, I would expect him to come back. One of the incredible things about his season, he shot 44% from three. This is after having no track record of shooting well at Texas. Uh, so with that context, who would you draft into the NBA? Who do you think is more likely to have a better career, Donovan Williams or Bryce Hamilton? That's a really good question. Uh, if you look at the their traits and their their just physical profile, Donovan Williams is the more NBA type of prospect. You know, he's six foot six. He's long. He can play above the rim. He shoots the ball from deep. Um, but I haven't seen him do it for more than six or seven games at a time before he gets hurt or before something happens. Whereas Bryce Hamilton, I've seen him do it for 130 games every night, being the leading scorer. And he's not going to shoot a high percentage, and his range doesn't extend as far as Williams is. But at least you know you know that he's going to play, um, and that he's shouldered that kind of responsibility before. So that's a good question. Um, I would probably take Hamilton just because that there's less risk there. Like if I've got a second round pick and I'm trying to choose, like who do I want to maybe stock up my G League team or put on a two-way contract or get some summer league action or take a longer look, I would take Hamilton and, and see what happens. All right. I got a football question for you. Spring practice is underway. Is Marcus Arroyo actually going to name a starting quarterback before the first game of the year? Before the first game of the year? I don't, I don't think so. I don't, I don't expect him to. I don't, he, hasn't, he hasn't done that yet in the first two years. They've got another quarterback um, comp- competition going on, a three-way quarterback competition, which uh, Arroyo said is going to expand into a four-way competition once uh, Jaden Maivea gets here in the fall. So if he's already saying that you know it's going to be a four-way competition in the fall, I definitely don't expect him to name a starter in the spring. And in today's game, sort of, it doesn't really make any sense for a coach to name a starter that early if you want to keep your quarterback depth because you risk – you know, running off, you know, the guys that don't win the competition. So if you want Cameron Freeld to stick around as your backup, it's probably better off to let him know that five minutes before the kickoff in week one so that he doesn't jump into the portal immediately. So um, I think it's probably going to be another long competition. Even if Marcus Arroyo knows right now who the starter is going to be, I wouldn't, ex- I wouldn't uh, think he'll make an announcement until, you know, right before week one. Mike, Harrison Bailey, in talking to you guys, uh, the, the interesting thing that came out for me was he talked about how complicated the offense is and how tough it is to learn. And we're talking about a kid coming from an SEC school. Uh, what did you take out of that? I, I, I heard that and I thought to myself, either UNLV's offense is more complicated than its quarterbacks are, are ready for, or what are they doing over in the SEC? Uh, to me, the way I read that comment is that that's the way that Harrison Bailey thinks he's he can compliment the coaching staff. Like he he feels like that's a compliment to the coaches. Like wow, what a offense! There's so many nuances, and I'm still picking it. I think like that's 
what he thinks they want to hear. So I think that's just his way of like throwing them, you know, that's just, if he, if he comes in and says like, Oh, this offense is a breeze. They don't do anything complicated. <laughs> like that's comes out. You know, that wouldn't, as, you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? I do. Yeah. I, I know what you're saying. And I guess you're going to tell me that if I follow up by saying to you that he said that he told the receivers at UNLV that they could walk in and start at Tennessee tomorrow, that he's, he was doing the same thing. Yeah, that to me that those both comments are both kind of in the same boat. Like he's just Harrison Bay, he seems like that kind of guy. It's like, wow, this is the the best receiving car I've ever thrown to. This is the most complicated, explosive offense I've ever played in. Um, you know, these team managers give us the cleanest, shiniest helmets that I've ever put on. Like that like that that's the good vibe that I got from Harrison Bailey. So I don't think that the the playbook is 500 pages and you know, that he's doing virtual reality walkthroughs on all these plays and he's still trying to get it down. I think that's, you know, just him sort of trying to ingratiate himself to a new team by being a, a good guy. If the receivers could start at Tennessee right now, they should all transfer immediately. I will say that that's probably the best position group on the team now. So, I mean, they're not, they may not all start in the, in the SEC, but that's a pretty good group. I think that the quarterbacks are okay throwing to those guys. So, um, a little hyperbole there from Harrison Bailey, but I think the the intent is pure. Is it bad news if Harrison Bailey doesn't win the job? Like, do you think they could win if it's Doug Brumfield or Cameron Friel starting next year? I think that uh, the plan is for Harrison Bailey to be the guy. Um, you probably don't want Doug Brumfield to be your your week one starter just because we haven't seen him be able to play more than three or four quarters in a row without going down with an injury. Uh, Cameron Friel was the same. He got beat up a lot last year. Uh, he played okay. Nothing that would you know give him an inside track to the starting job this year. So uh, Bailey, I think, is the, your best bet in terms of, like, if one of these guys is going to emerge or, uh, you know, really take the reins of, of the job, I think he is, he's the guy. All right. We got a question from Twitter for you. This is from John Nissan. Uh, he wants to know, can we get Mike Ramallah to the grand opening of Tacos El Gordo at Town Square? When is that? I don't know when that is, but uh, are you willing to go to a grand opening of a place that sells tacos? What are they going to have at the grand opening besides the tacos? you got to give me more than tacos to get me there. Oh, you're not just showing up to eat tacos? Yeah. Like, like, what, do you, like what do you want, a concert? Like, are you going to have, yeah, a concert or like stilt walkers <laughs> or... Um, Wow, that What's was a big have... step. A concert to stilt walkers. <laughs> yeah. Like, what, are you going to have a, a Ferris wheel? Like, what's going to be there besides the tacos? I'm probably not going to go just for the tacos. Wow. I mean, yeah, you go stand in line for like an hour to get to the opening of Tacos El Gordo. I don't know what else to say. It's in Town Square. I don't, uh, there's other stuff there. What there's, is a little, there's a little train what, that goes around there for kids. You can ride that. What is, what is ta- Tacos El Gordo? Is that a chain or like a... Uh... Is it more than one? What's this, what, um, well, I guess my, I guess I'm leading up to what makes this this tacos El Gordo taco different than the one that I already tried for you. Okay, uh, all right, I I can I can fill you in on this. So, have you ever seen it when they have the giant hanging pig rotating on a spit and they're just like slicing pieces off straight into a little tortilla? Have you ever seen this before? Not have you ever eaten it? I, just have you ever seen it? I've never I've never seen it, but I don't like it. <laughs> You've already just I just heard you say you're always open to trying new things. Not a dead pig that's rotating in front of me. 
Uh, not the head. Like, like it is sliced meat that they are putting into a taco. It is the best taco in Las Vegas. Oh, okay. And yes, okay, I I'm, am trying to get invited to the grand opening. Okay. <laughs> I, was, I was picturing like an apple stuffed into the mouth and that whole thing, which I don't have any interest in. Um, maybe. Maybe on Tacos El Gordo. I'll look at the menu online and see what else, see what they have. Tacos. That, that's, maybe that's like that, a, make you, maybe that like will make you El Gordo. Yeah. What'd you, what'd you say, Mike? Maybe like a quesadilla? Listen, if you go to a place called Tacos El Gordo and you get, I think they do actually have a quesadilla, but you don't get tacos, I don't know what to tell you. No, I can live with that, though. Let's slow indoctrination, Tyler. Slow Slow indoctrination. No, that's the problem. It's not going to be an indoctrination. He's going to take two bites and be done with it like he was with those Buffalo Wild Wings wings. I've had a quesadilla. I've had a chicken and cheese quesadilla. (laughs) It was good. I just... Um, I think you've seen me have one, Tyler. It's just that I eat it with a knife and a fork, and I take it apart, and I eat it separately. The defiance in that. your voice to say, I've had a quesadilla, is tremendous. He's Mike Gravala from the Las Vegas Sun. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, guys. <laughs> I've had a quesadilla. A quesadilla. Not I've had many quesadillas. I've had a quesadilla. But I take it apart and eat its components. All right. That's coming it. up next... Our resident referee's in, so he's going to have to answer some questions about laser pointers. You might have seen him at your local YMCA arguing with a U-12 coach. Let's tee it up with Adam. Wait, it's a ref segment? Wouldn't it make more sense if it was a golf segment? Whatever. Let's tee it up with Adam Candy. Uh, Adam, have you ever done soccer before? I mean, only if you count state championships and Olympic development. Okay. I didn't know if you had been a soccer ref before. Perfect. So here's my ref question for you. Uh, World Cup qualifiers throughout the week, including in Africa and Senegal, beat Egypt to go to the Cup. They played a two-legged tie. So the second one was in Senegal. Senegal won in penalties. But the referee question I have for you is throughout the entirety of this game, including when they had took penalties at the end of the side, who the winner would be, the fans from Senegal were shining laser pointers at the Egyptian players. And this was not one or two laser pointers. This was like 50 throughout the entire course of the match directly onto the Egyptian players. How should this have been handled? When you first sent this over, I was kind of wondering, okay, how bad was it, right? Like, you know, oh, maybe a laser pointer or two at an ill time. You know, like, was this something that the referee could have even done something about? This looked like they were holding a rave at O'Shea's. Like, this was green lights circling all over coaches, players, the goalkeeper, everyone. So the question comes back to this. How strong was the security or the administration at this game? And not in reality, just how strong did the referee believe it was? Because the right course of action is to just hold the game up, right? Stop the game until there can be an announcement made in the stadium that, you know, if if we find you using this, you're going to be kicked out. Now, do you believe as the referee that can actually happen? And or do you believe that during that stoppage, you are not going to be physically injured uh, because, you know, if you're in a situation where you don't believe that security can help you, 
that is a helpless feeling as a referee. I have absolutely, during a basketball game, gone over to the uh, the security during the game and said, you need to be standing right on the edge of the court when we get done and make sure we get back to the locker room. So it's that kind of situation. Wait a minute. What happened in the crowd for you to request that from security? So I I will not name the school involved or or the in the uh, the players, but uh, let's just say there was a call made in a high school game by one of my partners that even and and this is a rivalry game. It's going to decide who wins the division. It is a tie game with a minute left. A kid for the home team goes up for a dunk, and he uh, I should I said the kid for the opponent goes up for the dunk and misses it clean. He was challenged on the play, but I mean, there's there's really no contact to be had uh, on the play. And I hear a whistle from the, our younger partner on the crew, and I did this <laughs> because first of all, I knew it wasn't a foul, uh, and second of all, the crowd went so berserk. I mean, like standing up, screaming. You felt like people were going to start coming down the stands at us. So there was a timeout after that. We went over to security and said, we need to make sure we've got a path back to the locker room. Uh, at, which, at which point, the two of us uh, looked at our partner and said, what exactly did you have on that? He's like, well, he put a hand on his back. I'm like, put a hand on his back? He blocked the shot into next week clean. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm glad even refs can be like, hey, you're an idiot. That was a terrible call. I enjoy that very much. But on the laser pointers, because my, my thought watching it, well, my first thought was this is ridiculous and the game should probably be stopped. But then it was kind of what you explained. I don't know that they could actually fix this problem. Like outside of completely postponing the game and playing it another day or behind like closed doors or something. I didn't like it, there were so many laser pointers that it didn't feel like there was actually going to be a way to fix that in the moment. And they were just going to have to deal with the consequences of it. Well, think about it this way. I can actually make a comparison to the uh, long departed mask mandate at T-Mobile Arena during Vegas Golden Knights games. <laughs> like what you essentially turned that into was, do you think that the lovely retiree who is walking up and down the stands with that little please put your mask up sign is going to be able to tell somebody who is three beers deep hey put your mask back on it's the same thing here like do you trust that security is going to be able to get the laser pointers away from these people or identify which 50 people are shining laser pointers at the goalkeeper no uh, like when you, it gets down to that level you are in bad shape this is a it was an airline and I can't remember which one, but they said, I don't know if they ever actually did it. They said they were going to like give out yellow card cautions to people who didn't wear masks on their planes during 2020. And that if you got a second one, they were going to if either kick you off or you were going to end up like on the no fly list. And I just love the idea of somebody going around T-Mobile giving out yellow cards and red cards if you didn't have your mask on. But I want the I want the argument to look like it does on a soccer field, right? <laughs> I want three sections worth of fans to come up and surround the referee, and the referee <laughs> would just put his hand up in the air and wave at them, wave at them. No, 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 and then try to like back out. But yet there's still a group of people like holding their beers in hand, surrounding. Them, like, no, no, what are you doing? What are you doing? 
<laughs> you also need people that uh, are arguing. They're not gonna fight. They're just acting like it, and they press their foreheads together, and then one of them crumple to the ground in a heap. <sighs> you know, I don't do as much soccer as I used to, and that is absolutely the part that I don't miss. Like, <laughs> the more this has been televised, and the more that you know, teenagers, college students see all this, the more they emulate it, oh. and the more you have to deal with all of the faking and the whining and the crying, and you're like, oh, I didn't sign up for this. I need to see this in in high school soccer. Seventeen year olds flopping to the ground when they don't get touched. It's great. I'm telling you, it's it absolutely happens. <laughs> What a great sport. I love this sport so much. We're going to get so much more into it later in the show because the United States qualified for the World Cup.